We are in now week five of our series, Hashtag, and um, today is actually going to be part two uh, to last week's message, but let me just give you a recap of where we've been up to this point. In week number one, uh, we talked about the hashtag love and how God is the source of love and how you and I have access to the source. We have access to the very one who is love for us to experience love and also to give love. And so we talked about that in week number one. And then in week number two, we talked about hashtag no filter and how we are uh, to live our life from God's perspective and how like, you know, the world tries to put a filter on us and wants us to be like they are or somebody else wants you to be like they are. So we have so many different types of of, of, of things trying to put filters on us from, from the world to relationships that we're in. Even at times, we try to put filters onto our own lives, but God wants us to see ourselves with no filter because that's the way that He sees us. And then in week number three, we did hashtag uh, TBT or Throwback Thursday, and we talked about how there are certain things in our life that are worth remembering. And so we talked about remembering our childlike faith, remembering those moments in our life that provide hope for us in the future, those, those things that we can lay a, a stone of remembrance, a memorial that we can go back to and see how God moved in and through our life at some point in the past to give us hope for the future. And then we talked about remembering our first love. And we also talked about how the enemy desires to use our past to imprison us, but it's Jesus that will use our past to instruct us and inspire us. And then last week, we, we started uh, part one of the hashtag follow for follow. And really, we based that off of Paul and what he said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, where he said, follow me as I follow Christ. And we talked about how, how could Paul say something like that? How could he say, follow me as I follow Christ? Or as in some translation, it says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And we really talked about how it was because Paul's mission was the same as Jesus's mission. You see, Jesus's mission was to seek and to save the lost. And he commanded not only the disciples, but he commanded you and I as believers to go and make. In the Great Commission, he said, go and make disciples. Seek and save is the same as go and make. And so today I want to continue with part two and show us not only what a go and make life looks like, because we've seen that as far as Paul, we talked about that last week, but what needs to happen on the inside of us? In other words, what do we need to value in order for us to live a go and make lifestyle? There's a story in Acts chapter 8 that we can look at to help us. And it's about a guy named Philip. And there are several Philips in Scripture, so I don't want you to get confused as to which one that I'm actually talking about. There was a disciple named Philip who would become an apostle of the early church, but that's not the Philip I'm talking about. The Philip that I'm talking about, if you've been, uh, well, well, I shouldn't say this because Maybe some of you have been in church for quite some time and you don't like know who Philip is, you know. Uh, but sometimes Philip is referred to, the one that we're talking about today, as 
Philip the Evangelist. All right? And so where, 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 do we, where, where did Philip come from? You know, it's funny how sometimes in Scripture, just people pop up. And it's like, well, wait a minute. How do they get there? Like, you know, we read about a guy named Philip, and we're like, well, where does this guy come from? Well, let me tell you, in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, this is where we get Philip from. And it starts with this. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers. Holy smokes. Not much has changed, has it? It's just, instead of Greek and Hebrew, it's this denomination, that denomination, and who's right, who's wrong. You know, at the end of the day, if we can just agree that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that the Holy Spirit is alive and well and active, then let's move forward, all right? And so they're they're complaining about each other, saying their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. And in verse 2, it says, So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers. Boy, wouldn't this have been interesting to be a fly on the wall. Can you imagine having this meeting, the 12 get all the believers together? And you know that that means that there's probably a thousand different opinions, you know, and, and, and they're divided. You know, we, we, we only see Hebrew versus Greek. But let me tell you, there's probably uh, disagreement in both of those camps. And then it's just a, an array of disagreement going on. And so the 12 called a meeting with all the believers and they said, we apostles should not spend our time uh, or should spend our time teaching the Word of God, not running a food program. Now that's not to say that they were above the food program. It was just saying that we got to break this idea that it's one guy or one group of guys that does everything. If we're truly going to be the body of Christ, if we're truly going to be the church that God's called us to be, then we all have to do our part. And so they're coming there and they say that. And they say, and so brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the Word. Everyone liked the idea. Isn't that awesome? When everyone likes the idea, you know that that's a God thing right there. And they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Now, a lot of us, we've heard of Stephen. Stephen is what we would label the first martyr in the early church. He was the one that was stoned at the stake. And he was the one that uh, Paul, who was Saul at that time, actually oversaw his execution. So, I mean, this is where this begins. And then Philip. There he is. There he just popped up. Philip. He's one of the seven. And then I'm not even going to try any of these other names, but y'all can try that for your own self. Verse 6, the seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. And so God's message continued to spread, and the number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. So Philip was one of the seven who ran the food program. He ran the food pantry. You know what this tells me is that Philip, yes, he was recognized as somebody that was able to and, and had the qualifications to be on the board of directors for the food pantry of the early church, okay? And so that's where he finds himself. But at the end of the day, let's just break it down of who Philip was. You ready? Here's my theology on who Philip is. He's just a regular guy. He's just a regular guy. Man, that's deep, isn't it? But he was a regular guy who believed 
in Jesus and love Jesus with everything inside of him. You see, so many times we look at Scripture and we say, well, the disciples were the ones who were the big shots. The apostles, as they get named in the book of Acts. I mean, look at what all they did. They're the ones that God used. They're the ones that God moved through. But yet, we've got seven guys, one of which is Philip, who's just a regular guy. Like all of us in this room, I'm just a regular guy. You're just a regular guy. You're just a regular gal. Y'all like that? Man, that'll take somebody back in some time right there. When's the last time you heard somebody call a girl a gal? But the thing about it is, is that Philip is just a regular guy. He's just like you and me. So what did his life look like? Thank God Philip's not one of these guys where we just read about him in, in a grouping of seven people, but we actually get some insight on what Philip's life actually looked like in Acts chapter 8, verses 4 through 8, it says this. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Why were they scattered? Because they were beginning to be persecuted. And nobody likes that word persecution, right? But without the persecution, the spread of the gospel never happens. You know, maybe we shouldn't be so quick to, to just like try to get persecution out of our lives because sometimes persecution moves you to a place that you would never have gone to without it. So, but the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Verse 5, Philip, for example, he's now our example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. And crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. Holy cow, Philip's like the real deal. But wait a minute, he's just a regular guy. Philip was on the board of directors for the food pantry, but yet we're not reading about him distributing food. We're reading about him preaching the gospel and about doing miraculous things such as casting out evil spirits and telling the paralyzed to get up and walk. And he's just a regular guy. Good night. This time change is like, y'all have got to wake up a little bit. So Philip's life is one that is carrying the gospel everywhere that he's going. Which this tells me that guess what? Signs and wonders, preaching the gospel, was not reserved for just 12 men. Labeled the apostles. But it was for all those who believe. Even the regular guy like Philip. Now, Philip was all about a go-and-make lifestyle. I mean, he had it going on in Samaria. Like, Philip is like a celebrity there because people were eager to listen to him. But it didn't have anything to do with Philip. It had everything to do about his message. It's important that you realize that. When you preach the gospel and you start doing it, it doesn't have anything to do with you. It has everything to do with the message. So Philip's living this go 
and make lifestyle. But there's a story that I want to focus on, which is later in chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. It says this, As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Candake, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Now, there's some interesting things that are happening here. Okay? The, 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 the thing is, is that this shows us the first value. And I'm going to just give you two today. Two values. The first value is this. Is that if we're going to live a go and make lifestyle, one of which is wanting to reach the lost, then we have to value our relationship with Jesus. Because listen to me, if we don't value our relationship with Jesus, then we could care less if anybody else experiences that. Let's reverse that. If we're not willing to speak the message of Christ, then we have to really look into ourselves and ask us, do we really value our relationship with Jesus? That's a tough question that we have to wrestle with. But if we're going to live a go-and-make lifestyle, if we're going to reach into our community in Covington, Mandeville, Madisonville, in the surrounding areas, then we have to start valuing our relationship with Jesus. If we're going to reach out into our community and do an Easter outreach, we have to value our relationship with Jesus. So what in this passage did we read that tells us that Philip valued his relationship with Jesus? Well, it's the fact that he had an angel of the Lord talk to him. Which tells me that he has an open dialogue going on with Jesus. Which means to me that he values his relationship enough to be able to talk, but not only talk, but to listen as well. So, the key to valuing our relationship with Jesus is prayer. We can't say we value our relationship with Jesus if we're never going to talk to Him. If we're never going to listen to Him. If we're never going to treat Him like what we should and that He is the Lord and Savior, not just Savior, but He's Lord. And you would think that if we're going to declare Him as Lord of our lives that we need to talk to Him every now and then to figure out what He wants us to do. We have to value our relationship with Jesus. Listen to this statement. Before talking to people about Jesus, talk to Jesus about the people.
before talking to people about Jesus, we need to talk to Jesus about the people. Because you see, when we just tell people about Jesus without corresponding with Him, we're going to do it our way. I hate to break this to you. Maybe it's just me. But most of the time when I do things my way, it doesn't necessarily work out very good. There's a lot of times where I override Christina. We're going to do this my way. And I crash and burn. She's one of the few people that most of the time her way is the right way. Bless her. That's why she's such an amazing person. But, you see, Jesus desires to reach people. That was his mission, seek and save, right? He did a pretty good job of that while he was here on this earth, didn't he? I mean, he continued to do that pretty well after he was gone as well. So what makes us think that we don't need to communicate with him about people that we're trying to reach? That's why when we value our relationship with Jesus, we value it to the point that we desire to know exactly where and when and how he wants us to do things. Think about this. Philip never goes down the road without hearing it from the angel of the Lord. He valued his relationship so much so that he was willing to do whatever it was that the Lord told him to do. And it's amazing because it says that he was to go south down the desert road. Okay? Which that tells me, think about this, he's in Samaria and he's having a lot of success. We just read that. A lot of people are eager to hear his message and to see his miraculous signs. Evil spirits are coming out. People are getting healed and, 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 and people that were paralyzed are now walking. Why would God want him to leave that? Better yet, why would Philip want to leave that? Because, I mean, if we're experiencing success, then we just want to stay where success is. And yet, God calls Philip to just go down a desert road. He was in a very fruitful season of his life, experiencing fruit happening, and yet God now tells him to leave the fruitfulness and go to the desert place. You know why he was willing to go? is because he valued his relationship with Jesus. So many times we don't want to go down the desert road that he's calling us to go down because we don't value the relationship that we have with him because we don't believe that that is the right thing. We're going to sit here and tell him, no, sir, sorry, not today. I'm not listening to that. Don't want to do that because I don't really value my relationship with you because I feel that my way is better than your way. but we have to commit ourselves to a life of prayer. That's the only way. It is the key to valuing our relationship with Jesus because it is our communication device that we have with Him. And we look at the early church and it was birthed in an atmosphere of prayer. 
Check this out. Acts 1, 12 through 14 says, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a, distant, a distance of half a mile. Okay, so they were, they were at the Mount of Olives. This is where Jesus ascended into heaven. This is where he gave them their directive to go and make disciples. But he had also told them, you are to go into Jerusalem. You're there to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And so they're being obedient. Then in verse 13, when they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here in the names of those who were present, Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, not to be confused with the Philip that we're talking about, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. Not to be confused with the Judas that's already dead. He's another Judas. And then in verse 14, they all met together and were constantly united in prayer along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer. Constantly. Their constant attention was on Jesus because they valued their relationship with Jesus to where they were not going to move another step without hearing the voice of the Lord, without experiencing what He was going to send their way. He told them to go and wait. They went and waited. But they did not just wait and just choose to sit there and not do anything. No, they entertained heaven because they pressed into a place of prayer. They were working while they were in that upper room because they valued their relationship with Jesus. And then they were united. They were with one mind. And look, they were in that upper room for days, weeks, not just a day or two. But every day they pressed into this place of prayer pressed into this place of relationship that they had come to know with Christ. And as they were praying, there came the day in Acts chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit was released. This is what that tells me, is that our prayers attract God. Our prayers can create an atmosphere for God to move. You see, the absence of prayer results in the absence of God's power. we value our relationship with Jesus, we will press into a place of prayer because it's there that we attract God into our lives, into our situations, into those circles of influence that we have. It is there that we create an atmosphere for God to move. Because prayer is an open invitation for the hand of God to be involved in the affairs of man. And Jesus taught his disciples to pray a specific way in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. It says this, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. And here's the key. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's interesting to me that Jesus tells us to pray like that. I mean, why can't Jesus just do what he wants to do?
why, why, why can't he just why can't he just do what he wants to do? Because Jesus desires for you and I to be a conduit. He desires for you and I to be a place that he can plug into and then something great can happen in us and through us. You see, what was happening in that upper room was God was beginning to take His cord and plugging it in to, that, to those, those lives that were in that upper room. And when the Holy Spirit fell, they now became a living, active conduit of His power to move in and out of that upper room, to now go into all of the world and make disciples. We need to press into a place of prayer where we beg God for His will to happen on this earth, on the places that our feet touch as it is in heaven. Which tells me that there is no sickness in heaven. So let's pray the will of heaven into our earth, into the place that we're at. And we begin to pray for those that are sick. We begin to pray for those that are lame. We begin to pray for those that need a healing. And we see the power of God hit their lives. We see peace in heaven, not stress like we do on this earth. So let's get around those people that are stressed out to the max that have fear gripping them, that have the, the, the stronghold of depression set over their minds. And let's pray. And let's pray the will of heaven to come in on the earth that we are touching and see God break those strongholds. See God do something in the lives of those that are around us. But we only get to that place when we value our relationship with Him. And the reason that we should pray is because it keeps us connected with God. So the first value that we have to have is we have to value our relationship with Jesus. Here's the second thing. Is that we have to value that everyone matters to God. Somebody say everyone. Notice I didn't say just the people that are like you I didn't say the people that only agree with you I didn't say that we just value people that the same way that we believe but we got to value that everyone matters to God it doesn't matter what background they come from it doesn't matter what lifestyle they live in it doesn't matter what sin they're wrapped up in what matters is is that everyone matters to God everyone even if you were to think of your worst enemy right now, they matter to God. The person you dislike the most, they matter to God. The one that you would even dare to use the word hate on, like I hate this person with a passion. Guess what? You might hate them, but they matter to God. And we don't reach into this community. We don't reach the lost unless we believe this value for ourselves. Think about this. The fact that Jesus sent Philip away from a very fruitful time in ministry down a desert road for one. Because as we're going to see, the only reason he went down that road was to meet the Ethiopian eunuch 
That's it. One person. He was reaching multiple people. I don't know if it was tens, hundreds, thousands, but let's just, let's just say, man, he was reaching 10 people a day. Think about this. Think about this. Go with me here. He was setting up shop in a church, and I mean, he was preaching. He was going to town, and people were coming to know Jesus. But guess what? Everyone matters to God. Even the Ethiopian eunuch who's not around anybody, he's not even in the same town. He's just traveling down some de desert road, deserted road. And guess what? God speaks to Philip and says, I believe that this guy needs me right now. I care about him right now. He matters to me right now. And so I am willing to take you out of a fruitful ministry, remove you, and put you over here for the one. Jesus spoke that parable when he talked about the lost sheep, that the shepherd was willing to leave the 99 for the one. That's because everyone matters to God. I mean, John 3.16, famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. And somebody needs to hear this. Listen, He did not send His Son into the world to condemn it, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. You know why Jesus wasn't sent to condemn? It's because we already condemn ourselves. There's no need for Him to condemn any further because we've already condemned ourselves. All He's coming to do is to give grace, to give mercy, to say there's a way out of that place of condemnation that you already stand in, and it's me. God so loved the world because every single one of us matters to Him that He was willing to send His one and only Son. If it was only for you, then it was only for you. But thank God it was for tons and tons of people that have believed in the past, will believe today, and believe in the future. Christ came because everyone matters to Him. And guess what? It can't just be something that He values. It's got to be something that we value as believers as well. It just hurts me to see how much of the church eats up their own. And then you wonder why people don't want to be a part of it. Because guess what? We read that scripture and say, Jesus came to condemn the world. So guess what? That's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to live a life condemning everything that I see that I don't agree with or that I don't believe in. Here's a newsflash for you. It's not my job. It's not your job to convict anybody of their sin. The Bible tells us clearly that that's the Holy Spirit's job. You know what your job is? You know what my job is? It's to love. It's to love. It's to portray a picture of kindness because guess what? Kindness leads people to repentance. Guess what? Nobody needs you to tell them that what they're doing is wrong. 
because about 100% of the time, they already know that what they're doing is wrong. They just need somebody to come up to them, walk beside them, say, I love you, I believe in you, and I am here to tell you that there is someone that you need to believe in that will take this condemnation out of your life, can take the sin out of your life. And guess what? His name is Jesus. But here's the challenge. When we hear this, this, this value, we, 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 we have to value that everyone matters to God. Here's the challenge, though. I guarantee you if I were to take a, an anonymous poll and ask you if you would agree with that statement, 100% of you would say yes. But here's the challenge. Do you own it? You might agree with it, but do you own it? See, there's a difference between agreeing with something and owning something. Because when you agree with it, it's just a matter of saying, oh yeah, I agree with that. But, but do you really? I mean, when it gets deep down inside of you, do you really agree with that to the point that you own it? Let me tell you, I struggle in this area. I really do. Because there's a lot of people that I can look at and say, you know what? I don't care about them at all. Maybe I shouldn't say that. But I'm just telling you, look, I'm as real as, as they come. Here's the, th here's the fact. There are people that I look at and I'm like, I don't understand why they do what they do. Guess what? I don't care about you. But I got to tell you something. Can I tell you God's having to deal with me? And has dealt with me on this. That 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 this got this has to start. I I, I got to own that, hundred percent. I can't just say I own that everyone matters to God, only up to a certain amount. I got to own it all or nothing. Because everyone matters to Him. Everyone matters to Him. You see this value of everyone mattering to God will be tested each time you try to rearrange your life to live this value out. You know why? Because other values will start competing and crowding this one out. Because you see, when you start living the value that everyone matters to God, then that means that there are certain decisions that you make that are going to change. What you commit your time to, to the point of what you commit your finances to, to what you commit your talent to. Do those things speak as if you own this value? When we live this value out, here's what happens. Because here's the good news. Here's the good news. If we live the value out that everyone matters to God, then the Holy Spirit begins to move in our lives in a bigger way. Check this out. Continuing in the story about Philip in verse 29 of Acts chapter 8, it says the Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go over and walk along beside the carriage. And Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. And Philip asked, do you understand what you are reading? And here's what's interesting to me. The angel of the Lord came to Philip earlier, right? And he said, I need you to go down the desert road. He didn't tell him who you were going to come across. He didn't tell you if you were even going to come across anybody. He just told him to go down the, 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 the desert road. Well, guess what? 
Philip was obedient. Now, it says that, you know, it says the Holy Spirit said. You see, when we mix prayer and obedience together, it's like the secret sauce for God showing up in your life and speaking to you and allowing Himself to move in you and through you. So the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk alongside the carriage. That's funny to me because it, Philip is a very, he's a, he's a, he, you can tell he's a passionate guy. You, you can tell this guy is eager to do what God asked him to do. Because God told him to walk and Philip ran. Something key happened. The Spirit said and Philip ran. The Spirit said, and Philip ran. Philip needed to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in order to move closer to being a solution. You see, there's a word that's in our culture today. It's one that's called relevant. If you're on my side of the church equation, and you're hearing from different church leaders, you'll hear that word to where it's like you don't even want to hear it anymore. Like, how can we become a relevant church to culture? How can we become relevant? Well, your building needs to look like this, and you need to do sermons like this, and you need to do this and this and this, because that's how you're being culturally relevant. I hate to break this to you, but I could do whatever needs to be done, and we could be the most unrelevant church in our area. The only way that we're going to be relevant to the culture that we find ourselves living in is to be one that is attached to the Holy Spirit. In order to be relevant, we need to work with the Holy Spirit. Now listen to me. Listen to me on this. It is for the Holy Spirit to speak, but it's for you to run. It's for the Holy Spirit to speak, but it's for you to run. When roles are reversed, we are usually out of touch with those felt needs around us. That's when you see the church not being very relevant because we're the ones that want to speak. And we want the Holy Spirit to run and do what we tell it to do. I tell you what, let me tell you this. I'm reading this book right now, and one of the statements that the guy made in the book, he said this. He said, you know what? So many times we're after a model or a system for growth. And this is a church book. But it could be in the business world too. Just go with me. But the early church had it right because the only model that they put in place was listen and obey. Listen and obey. Listen to the Holy Spirit and obey. Hear Him speak and then run. I tell you, there's been plenty of times where I have been the one trying to speak into the situation and then having to, hey, Holy Spirit, like, help me out here. Let's make this thing happen. And it's like, guess what, McFly? You got it wrong. You got it wrong. You need to listen and allow the Holy Spirit to speak. And then it's up to you to run. Working with the Holy Spirit causes you to see and hear what you would not ordinarily perceive. 
That was when Philip realized the real need. In order, in order for you to move to your next level of relevance, you have to get closer to the need because proximity gives perspective. Think about this. In order to save humanity, Jesus had to be born of a woman, had to live like you and I. He had to get into proximity to get perspective so that he could do what it was that God wanted his son to do. That's why Jesus can, 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 can say things like, I know the weaknesses that you deal with. I know the struggles that you struggle with because I have struggled with every weakness that you have. The only difference is, is that I never allowed any one of those struggles to overcome me. So therefore, I have what it takes for you to overcome. You just got to invite me into the situation. You got to invite me into your life. You see, when we, when we try to deal with issues remotely, away from everything, we usually give the wrong prescription. The closer you are to the issues, the more relevant the solution you are likely to provide. And look, I'm not, I'm not advocating for us to go and, and, and just hang out in, in, in certain atmospheres because that is what it means to be close. Okay? We're in this world, but we're not of this world. I'm not advocating for you to be of this world. I'm just saying we need to be in this world. As strangers and pilgrims, as the Scripture tells us, that we are here, we're passing by, and our goal is to go and make. You see, the salt is only effective when it is where it is needed. You see, salt is good for nothing as long as it remains in the salt shaker. But too many times what we want to do is we want to, we want to dash the salt out in a, in a setting where it's all believers. Well, guess what? We already have salt. We don't need any more salt. The salt needs to be outside of these four walls. The salt needs to be where it goes where the lost are so that we can, we can, we can tell people about Jesus. So as Christina comes back up, these two values that I talked about today, we have to value our relationship with Jesus and we have to value that everyone matters to God. And I want you to look at the results of these two values as it pertains to Philip. In verse 30, Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. And Philip asked, do you understand what you are reading? And the man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. Now, this Ethiopian eunuch, he was kind of already started in the right direction because he was reading from the prophet Isaiah. Uh, so this guy was rich, okay? He was a man of influence in Ethiopia. We've already read that. And back in that day, the scrolls that he would have had in his carriage reading would have been very, very expensive. So that also lets us know that he had 
He had wealth. Now, if you go back in Scripture, the reason that Ethiopia, which is a little bit different than modern-day Ethiopia now, but it was still in Africa, but if you remember in Scripture in the Old Testament, the Queen of Sheba came up into Solomon's court, and she was just absolutely blown away from the, the wisdom of Solomon. And so therefore, there was an interest that was taking into Jewish culture in that time. And so that's how that came into the region of Ethiopia. So that's the reason that this guy made the pilgrimage up to Jerusalem is because he was attracted by the Jewish ideas. He only had half the pie, though. He only had half the pie. He didn't understand that there was something that came to fulfill everything that he was reading, which was Jesus. What this tells me is, is that this guy had everything that the world had to offer, and yet it still wasn't enough. We live in an area, quite frankly, that for the majority of the area, a lot of people live a life where they have everything the world has to offer. I mean, let's just call it what it is. We live in an affluent area. I'm not saying there's not other areas in our, in, in, in our, in our community, but for the most part, we live in an area where most of the people have everything the world has to offer. But guess what? They are as, 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 as miserable as they come. They might paint a different face on, but they're miserable. Why? Because they've tried to fill a void that only God can fill with the things of this world and they don't find the satisfaction in those things. And yet, some of us, we look at that and we're like, I don't understand how those people can be happy because they've got everything. It just, like, it crawls on my skin when I hear believers talk about people like that. And it's like, are you kidding me? Like, are you kidding me right now just because you don't drive the next year of the model to make and, 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 and have the house that has this or, 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 or this or that? And you say, man, they've got everything. Why aren't they happy? No, they don't have everything. Guess what? You've got everything. You just don't access it. So if they're miserable and we're looking at them going, golly, what's the deal? Like, I want to be like you. And they're looking at you like, man, but... I thought, I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. You say about this Jesus guy. I was kind of intrigued by that, but now you look at me and say, like, I wish I was like you. And you're like, no, you don't. It said that he urged Philip to come up into the carriage. That's because he was desperate for Jesus. He didn't even know that he was desperate. He just was desperate. We got people all around us that are desperate for Jesus and they don't even know it. The passage of scripture that he had been reading is this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Verse 35 is key. So beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. Here's the thing. You know what Philip did that I think sometimes we miss? Is that he met 
the Ethiopian eunuch where he was at. He connected to him by going to the place where he was at and building from there. Too many times we want to have people at step number M and they haven't even gotten A yet. We need to get them A, B, C. D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L before we get them to M. We have to meet people where they're at and then bring them along. Go and make. Go and make. How many things do you make in your house that is only one step? Nothing. Nothing. Not even the macaroni and cheese cups for my kids. Because you got to take the lid off. You got to put water in. You got to put it in the microwave. Then you got to take it out. You got to put the packet of cheese in. You got to serve. I mean, I mean, my goodness. Like, that's too many steps. I thought it was supposed to be easier. I'm just saying, like, we have to meet people where they're at. We have to connect with where they're at and then take them along the process. And then check this out. So he, Philip tells him about the good news about Jesus. And then verse 36, as they rode along, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop. And they went down to the water and Philip baptized him. That just tells me that he believed in whatever Philip told him. There was really no need for Luke to include the whole dialogue between him and the eunuch as far as Jesus was concerned because all he needed people to know was that the guy believed enough that he said, there's some water, let me get baptized. And then, it's funny, if you read the rest of the story, it's not going to be on the screen for you. But then guess what happens? Something pretty cool happens. And it says that he was just snatched. He was just snatched up, transported to somewhere else. Like, how cool is that? Beam me up, Scotty. You know what I'm saying? Anybody seen the show Quantum Leap? Now I'm reaching back into somebody's past. But it's like, you just... See, that's how cool God is. And that shows you that everyone matters to Him. That He took Philip away from a fruitful season of ministry, took him just for the one, and then snatched him back out and put him somewhere else to be fruitful again. I don't know about you, but we got to be about the one. We got to be about the one. Value your relationship with Jesus and value that everyone matters to God. Can we stand all over this place? Today?